DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue with part two of our discussion on this particular letter of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity with Dr. Lillis. July 15th, 1903, Dijon Carmel. Monsieur Le Chanoine, my dear mama, whom I saw last week, brought me your good letter, and I assure you that I can indeed sympathize with the sufferings your eyes are causing you, and I am praying fervently for you. I was wondering a little what had become of you, but you find your little Carmelite close to God, don't you? And that is where she finds you, too. Then, no more distance, no more separation, but already, as in heaven, the fusion of hearts and souls. How many things have happened since my last letter? I heard the church say, Veni sponsa Christi, come, bride of Christ. She consecrated me, and now all is consummated. Rather, everything is beginning, for profession is only a dawn. And each day, my life as a bride seems to me more beautiful, more luminous, more enveloped in peace and love. During the night that preceded the great day, while I was in choir awaiting the bridegroom, I understood that my heaven was beginning on earth. Heaven in faith with suffering and immolation for him whom I love. I so wish to love him, to love him as my seraphic mother did, even to dying of it. We sing, O Caritas Victima, on her feast day, and that is my whole ambition, to be the prey of love. I think that in Carmel, it is so simple to live by love. From morning to evening, the rule is there to express the will of God moment by moment. If you knew how I love this rule, which is the way he wants me to become holy, I do not know if I will have the happiness of giving my bridegroom the witness of my blood by martyrdom, but at least, if I fully live my Carmelite life, I have the consolation of wearing myself out for him, 
for him alone. Then what difference does the work he wills for me make? Since he is always with me, prayer, a heart-to-heart, must never end. I feel him so alive in my soul. I have only to recollect myself to find him within me, and that is my whole happiness. He has placed in my heart a thirst for the infinite and such a great need for love that he alone can satisfy it. I go to him like a little child to its mother so he may fill, invade everything and then take me and carry me away in his arms. I think we must be so simple with God. I am longing to send you my good mama. You will see how God is working in this beloved soul. Sometimes I cry for happiness and gratitude. It is so good to be devoted to your mother, to feel that she too is completely his, to be able to tell her about your soul and to be completely understood. You really are the great attraction of the trip, I assure you. I love to remember those vacations at Saint-Hilaire, then at Carcassonne and La Bastide. They were the best ones I had. With what fatherly goodness you received the confidences I so love to make to you. I would be happy if one day they could be made once again through my dear grills. Won't you come to bless your little Carmelite and, quite close to her, thank him who has loved her exceedingly. For you see, my happiness can no longer be expressed. Listen to what is being sung in my soul, and all that is rising from the heart of the bride to the heart of the bridegroom for those whose little child she will always be. Send her your best blessing at Holy Mass. Bathe her in the blood of the bridegroom. It is the purity of the bride, and she is so thirsting for it. Adieu, Monsieur Le Chanoine, affectionately and respectfully yours, Sister Elizabeth of the Trinity, RCI. Anthony, it strikes me that as she's, you know, um, bringing this forward in the letter, there is such a joy in that she's living out what she feels she has been called to do. I mean, in surrendering that. If we recall, her mother was very concerned, very challenged in this vocation of her daughter. Mm. Um, and the world at that time, I mean, she had such incredible talents as a, a concert pianist. She could have done ex- even extraordinary things. And yet she's embraced, as she would later say in this letter, you know, this rule. And now she is becoming, as you said, fully what she is meant to be. And, you know, I, I can't help but think of 
those who are hearing that still small voice inside themselves right now who maybe can't believe that God would actually be calling them to a vocation of this type. I mean, being brought maybe in particular to a Carmel or maybe it is into some other religious order or even into the married life. I mean, to be whatever it is that God is calling you and knowing how to respond to that. Well, this is really important. This is very important for young people who are discerning their vocations. I think it's also important for those of us who've already chosen our vocation. And so we're, we're in it. And sometimes when you're in the midst of, voc- of a vocation, you can kind of go through this. It's a really bad thought, but it's kind of like, oh, you know, I should have chose this or I should have chose that. I wasn't as open to God as I might have been, or maybe I made the wrong decision. And if you think like that, you're not thinking with faith. If you think with faith, then you think about the whole reality that everything in your life has happened for a purpose to bring you to this moment. There is nothing accidental. Uh, God is in control of everything. And so the very difficult hardships that you've gone through, he's gone through with you. He knows what they are and he knows your heartache and has suffered it with you in, in a deeper way. And your heart is ached, his heart is ached for you too. He's not indifferent to you and he's not uninvolved or not caring about what's going on with you. He has never been that. And and so if you begin to think about the immensity of that love and you begin to trust it, then right now in whatever vocation you're in or whatever you're discerning your vocation to be, right now becomes a moment for you to renew your act of trust and to surrender yourself more wholly to him. And somebody can say, well, I want to do that, but I have a hard time doing that. I have a, I feel anxious. I don't know that he will actually do this for me. You know, In other words, what you're saying is true, but it applies to everybody else except me somehow. Uh, that, of course, is a lie from the evil one. There's nothing true to that at all. But um, this is where the prayer that she talks about, this prayer of a loving awareness of God's presence and of resting ourselves in that presence and and trying to be aware of that presence all the time. This prayer can help us have the trust so that no matter what our vocation is, no matter where we find ourselves in this life, we can always start, begin again, and renew this commitment of love. We can always step into this mission that the Lord has for us. We can always become the prey of the Trinity, no matter what our state state in life is. He has a name for us. He sees us for who he is, and he wants us to know that. And he has a great purpose for us, and he wants us to know that too. And if we can't see it right now, if it's, if it's hard to see, especially because maybe we're in a difficult marriage, or maybe it seems that you know we feel like a failure as a parent, or whatever it is in life, those feelings are dispelled when we turn our hearts to God. This is what how she's living right now. This is such a a powerful thing. He has something that he wants us to do, and it doesn't make a lot of difference what it needs. We need to be a little bit indifferent to that. I wish I was this, and I wish I was that. We need to let go of that a little bit. I think that in Carmel, it is so simple to live by love. From morning to evening, the rule is there to express the will of God moment by moment. 
If you knew how I love this rule, which is the way he wants me to become holy. I do not know if I will have the happiness of giving my bridegroom the witness of my blood by martyrdom, but at least, if I fully live my Carmelite life, I have the consolation of wearing myself out for him, for him alone. Then what difference does the work he wills for me make? Since he is always with me, prayer, a heart-to-heart, must never end. I feel him so alive in my soul. I have only to recollect myself to find him within me, and that is my whole happiness. He has placed in my heart a thirst for the infinite and such a great need for love that he alone can satisfy it. I go to him like a little child to its mother so he may fill, invade everything and then take me and carry me away in his arms. I think we must be so simple with God. This is the key to fulfilling our vocation, praying without ceasing, living in a heart-to-heart that never ends. And this, Chris, is the secret to a beautiful life. If we live vulnerable to God and his presence, if we look to him to fulfill the deepest needs of our heart, if we realize that there is a thirst in our hearts and we we let ourselves suffer that thirst instead of distracting ourselves from it, we let ourselves suffer our need for God. He is going to fulfill that. He wants to fulfill it. The more we distract ourselves, the more we go from this thing to that thing to that thing without letting ourselves be aware that he is with us, the, the less we trust him to meet our deep, deepest needs, the more we thwart him from accomplishing this great work in us. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to know who we are. He wants to meet our deepest needs. He wants us to fulfill the mission that he has had for us from all eternity, the mission that if we're engaged in it, become most fully who we are meant to be. Because this is the great truth about being a human being. We only become who we're meant to be through an authentic gift of ourselves. The more we give ourselves in love, and particularly the more we give ourselves in love in the way that God has willed us to, the more we become who we are meant to be. So this is a great word of hope. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. 
A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Anthony, I think it's important for anybody who's listening to this, who, for whatever reason now, it pops in their mind, well, she was in the Carmel, she was an extraordinary person. This really, even though the sentiments are nice, it can't possibly happen for me. Elizabeth would be the first one to tell you, oh, you're wrong on that one. In fact, it will become a theme in later letters where she writes to lay people telling them that what she has discovered in Carmel, they can have in their life. Whether they're single, they're married, they're widowed, whether they're a priest, uh, whether they're a young man headed off into the army for World War I. (laughs) She's telling them all that she's here to help them realize the joy that she has known Christ. She's praying for them. She wants to be a friend for them who supports them in coming to know the Lord, this indwelling of the Trinity, has the source of all their happiness, as the deepest source of their joy. What she wants to do for her friends and what she knows, no matter what their state in life is, she wants to awake this thirst for the infinite that has been driving her. This thirst for the infinite in her soul has made all the difference in her life. She wants people to have that thirst in, in their life, and to know it. We all have it. We're either paying attention to it and making space for it, or we're drowning it out. But it's there. Until we begin to suffer it and, and let it move us in our lives, we'll never live fullness of life that the Lord would have for us. Our lives will always be, to some degree, unsatisfying even when we live in extreme satisfaction. There will be something that's just a little meaningless. But when we let our hearts ache with this infinite thirst that she's talking about, and and with this infinite thirst, we make efforts in our lives to become aware of his loving presence. And sometimes this involves lifestyle choices. Sometimes this involves simplifying our lives. Sometimes this involves how we spend our time and 
the kind of entertainment we choose for ourselves. When we make those kind of decisions for God so that we can be more prayerful and ache with this thirst, all of a sudden our whole life begins to shift and there, a deeper kind of meaning comes into our lives, no matter what our vocation is. And God is able to bring to birth something very beautiful in us. Hmm. What else can we glean from this particular letter, Anthony? Uh, in the last paragraph, she remembers vacations and so forth. And so you get a beautiful sense of her humanity in this. But then uh, she's asking him to come to the Carmel. And she's asking him so that she can visit him through the grill. And he does. He will eventually come. She wants him to see how happy she is in answering the call to religious life. She wants to share her happiness with him. And that's one of the beautiful things about the joy we have in Christ. When it touches our souls, there's something that aches in us to share it with others because it's the very nature of it. It brings us into a deeper communion. With what fatherly goodness you received the confidences I so love to make to you. I would be happy if one day they could be made once again through my dear grills. Won't you come to bless your little Carmelite and, quite close to her, thank him who has loved her exceedingly. For you see, my happiness could no longer be expressed. Listen to what is being sung in my soul and all that is rising from the heart of the bride to the heart of the bridegroom for those whose little child she will always be. Center your best blessing at Holy Mass. Bathe her in the blood of the bridegroom. It is the purity of the bride and she is so thirsting for it. These last two lines are so extremely rich. She wants him to hear the song that is in her soul. When you know Jesus, when you make space for him, when you let yourself ache with that infinite thirst and that beautiful silence that is prayer, and you spend some time doing that. There is a song that is produced in your soul. The, the technical word for this is actually jubilation. Jubilation is joy that needs to be expressed. And this is the very heart of Christian witness. People talk about the new evangelization. What is the new evangelization? For me, the new evangelization means a new encounter of Christ in our souls that evokes such joy, we need to share it with the world in brand new ways, in ways that has never been shared before, to people who've never heard it before, to people who've heard it before and forgot it. We have a passion to share the joy of our souls and not be quiet because it's exploding in us. And that's what this song in her soul is doing. She wants him to know the song of joy that she has. It's a song that is rising up in her heart, the heart for the bridegroom. She wants him to hear this, this beautiful, exquisite music of joy that is in her heart. Do you see this contemplative prayer, this prayer of silence, where we let ourselves ache for the infinite presence of God, where we make space so that we're aware of him? What happens in the midst of that 
is that a song of such love is born in our heart. Today, one of the big, I think, problems in ecclesiology is that we've spent so much time worried about the Christ the head and who is the teacher and what's authoritative in the church and what's not authoritative and and who can and can't be a priest and that kind of thing. And it's, all those are great questions and important questions. And I'm glad that people are, are asking and answering them. But sometimes in the midst of all the concern about the head, the teaching and governing of the church, the sanctifying the church, we forget that the church also has a heart. And when we forget that the church has a heart, in other words, that the church is primarily a reality, a mystery of love, the love of the bride and the bridegroom, when we fail to let ourselves be moved by that love, then the church becomes just another organization in our lives. And all the talk about power and teaching and authority and office and so forth, uh, these are just like different uh, ways of membership in the church. Well, when that happens, no wonder some people say, I can have Christ without the church. The reason why they say that is because they don't experience the love of the church. Elizabeth here is inviting Father to come and see the love of the church manifest in her. She, in a certain way, is a personification, a pinpoint of the whole mystery of the church is being unveiled in her because she has made space for the bridegroom. And here's the thing. This can be something that happens in all of us. All of us should be disclosing that kind of love to each other all the time in any variety of ways. Elizabeth is inviting Father to do this in a very beautiful way, to share with him in a very beautiful way. But this is something that we can all do. The very last lines in here about baptizing, being bathed in the blood of the bridegroom. She's referring, of course, to when Father offers Mass. And so now we get to the the final thought I wanted to leave you with is in the mystical body of Christ, we so need each other. Someone with such a deep prayer life like Elizabeth of the Trinity, she's still aware of how purified she needs to be. And she knows that only the blood of Jesus can purify her. And she knows that it's in the Eucharist that this blood flows forth for the whole church, that she's purified every time Mass is celebrated. And so Mass, like contemplative prayer, is another instance where we're bound together. In fact, it is the source and summit of all contemplative prayer is found in the Mass, is found in the blood of Jesus that is made present at the Mass, that flows into our lives at the Mass. And so just like she wants to share her joy with Father Angles, she's asking Father Angles also to share his ministry with her, to include her in his ministry, as if she depends on it, and she does. We need each other in the body of Christ. That is how we build up holiness. And so there's a great mystery. She wants to share the jubilation of her heart with with this priest, but she wants this priest to bathe her in the blood of Jesus. You're really right, Anthony, when you made the reference to the new evangelization. Because isn't this what, this is at its core what it's all about. It's about fostering relationship. The beauty of the relationship that you have with the Trinity. That new evangelization, we have to, that message out. 
not only to those who don't know him, but those who think they might have, but really don't. You know, those who have been baptized and are part of that mystical body, but are asleep in a very real way. So this love, this joy can wake them up. Mm-hmm. And But unless we make space for this joy in our hearts, and unless we're willing to, in a certain way, suffer this joy, and unless we're willing to make space in our hearts to ache with this infinite desire for, for God and trust and have confidence that God can fulfill this desire, uh, only then can the, the joy be born in us. Otherwise, it's just words. And we're trying to fix each other up. <laughs> but we're just as broken as the people we're trying to minister to. Without prayer, we have nothing to share. Without a deeper encounter with Christ, we don't really have that joy that they need. But when we do, when we do avail ourselves of these of this deeper kind of joy, the Lord can do so much through us. He can uh, transform people in ways that we haven't even begun to imagine yet. Mm. A, a final thought on this particular letter, Anthony. This letter, 169, is a letter that we get to see Elizabeth is coming out of her darkness. This is a little bit of a turning point. She's a new phase of life has begun for her. And it's a phase characterized by this jubilation, this, this song of her soul that has been given birth to because she passed through the dark night. And the reason why this is important, I think that a number of people who are listening to this program have also suffered through difficult times of aridity and prayer where Prayer just seems dry, and there seems to be nothing going on. Sometimes in the midst of that, you can begin to question, what is God doing, or is this a waste of time? The message of Carmel and the message of Elizabeth of the Trinity in this letter in particular is, it's never a waste of time. God is doing something beautiful in it, and if you trust him, he's going to bring to birth a joy in your soul. He's going to cause a song to rise up out of you that will not only meet all your deepest needs, but it's going to be something that ministers to everybody all around you. You will become a source of living water for the for the whole world. Out of your dryness right now, God is digging a, a well, and this well is going to be a source of living water for those who are most thirsty. So please, for those of you who uh, face difficulty in prayer, follow the example of Elizabeth of the Trinity. God is doing something beautiful in you. How wonderful. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. It's great to be with you. DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we discuss the letters of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Beginning to pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.
I'm your host, Chris McGregor.